Turn to Isaiah 55, 9. In the red. In the red. <laughs> and uh, there's two red ones. We're going to read them both. Isaiah 55, 9. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. And Job 36:26 Alpha, as we would say in aviation. <laughs> We have these two scripture references about how the heavens are higher than the earth and so God's ways are higher than our ways. And Job says, how great is our God? This is Job now. How great is our God beyond our understanding? That one we relate to well, don't we? God is beyond our understanding and here we are studying his word. And the entire basis of our study, this study of health, any study I would submit, but specifically this study of health, the entire basis of it is that health is the truth of what is written. It is about what is written. Because anything else is just speculation or conjecture or untruth. And that's what we're really confronted with as tonight we finish off looking at historically before Jesus, we're looking at what those first century Jews would have understood about the word that we use as hell. They knew it as a different word in the Hebrew, which is Sheol. Okay, that's the Hebrew word for what they would have understood as hell. And it's really important to understand that historically because Jesus, we're going to start looking at tonight, is going to be teaching the first century Jews, right, about hell. And it's important to know what they know. Because if we don't transport ourselves back to being a first century Jew... See, we've cheated. We live 2,000 years later, and so we already have that additional 2,000 years of history, don't we? We have the whole of the New Testament and all of Jesus' teaching, don't we? And we have all of this stuff that they didn't have. So, it's important to understand that both Isaiah and Job and elsewhere identifies these attributes of God, ones that we'll never understand. It's impossible for us because we're human. And yet, he gave us his word so we could dive into it, scratch our heads, ask questions, point fingers at one another, argue, all in love, but in truth. Because we have to know what the scripture says. Otherwise, again, speculation, conjecture, or just flat untruth. So, we want to stick with the truth. Now, we've been looking at these words for help. And in the first century, there were two words that were generally used before the advent of the New Testament writings. And they were, the one that we just mentioned, 
and the other one, Hades. Hades. And of course, we know that both of those words mean exactly the same thing. But one is Hebrew, one is Greek. It's that simple. And I've heard people get all caught up in trying to define what the meanings of these words are when you can take it right down to its core, simple meaning. They both mean the realm of the dead. So in the first century, if you would have said, if we were living in the first century, Brenda, and somebody said, and you were, and you were uh, not a Jew, okay? Um, and if somebody said to you, Hades, you would know exactly what they were talking about. You would know that that meant the realm of the dead. So remember that. The, the, the realm of the dead. So I just that's where the dead go. Okay? I want you to remember that based on what we're going to be taking a look at tonight. And so then we also know that God created. Right? Mm -hmm. And so what did he create? Everything. Does that include Sheol? Yeah. Hades? Yeah. And then we were looking at the other names for for hell in the Bible, which are henna, what else? Lake of Fire, the abyss, the pit. They all mean essentially the same thing. And where did they come from? Where did these, where did these, where did this place come from? God. God had to create. That's right, because He created everything. Mm -hmm. But He didn't create Himself. Don't ask me how that works. <laughs> I have no idea. Nobody else. No, neither does anybody else. It's beyond our understanding. Amen. We don't know the number of His days. We don't know where God came from because we think like somebody has to come from somewhere, right? Mm -hmm. I came from. Doesn't matter where I came from. We don't know where God came from. But we do know these names and we for hell, and we do know that God created hell. Wow. So we're dealing with the truth. We're dealing with the fact that the Bible is truth. And we're dealing with this subject matter of hell, which is a little uncomfortable. Or it should be. So if you're not uncomfortable with hell, ask yourself some hard questions. Because it's difficult. And the only reason it's difficult, not the theology of hell, not even the fact that God created hell is difficult. What's difficult about hell is people are going there. That's what's difficult about it. And so that should bring us a little pause as we think through the truth that is written in God's word about hell. And so we've been looking at this theology of hell from the Old Testament perspective because Jesus is about to come onto the scene here and have a few things to say about Sheol, about Hades, and about this word that we, that we looked at um, extensively over the last couple of weeks, Gehenna. Okay? And we, who, who can give me the 15 second... Um, uh, definition of Gehenna, where that word came from, what that word represents, what it means. The Valley of Hinnom. The Valley of Hinnom. Okay. 
It's the city dump, but we looked last week, and unfortunately you weren't here. It's not the city dump. <laughs> huh? It's really interesting. So, what we learned last week, of course, is that when it was determined in Christian literature, because it doesn't say that anywhere in the Bible, nowhere in the Bible is Gehenna described, the Valley of Hinnom, as a dump. The city dump was on the outskirts of Jerusalem, just like it was in every other city. But it was not the Valley of Hinnom, which is where people were burned to death when they were worshipping... Sacrifice to the idols. To the idols. And remember the two gods? Gog and Magog. No, not Gog and Magog. Baal Baal and Molech. Those were the two pagan gods that those disobedient Jews went to the valley of Hinnom because they had to get out of Jerusalem. Imagine that. It's not too hard to imagine, is it? The Bible says so. They went to that valley and they procreated to have children to burn them to death. They burned them alive. And Gehenna is talking about fire all the time. Gehenna means fire, fire, fire. And torment, torment, torment. And it is about the fact of what was going on in that valley and has nothing to do with the city dump. In fact, we saw that a Jewish rabbi... 1600 years or excuse me 1200 years after Christ made mention in an extra biblical obviously in that time frame an extra biblical writing about the valley of Hinnom being a garbage dump and then he said but that's just an analogy for what was really going on there and it got picked up in the Christian community and for hundreds of years we've been told you can read it in commentaries today and yet There's not one speck of biblical truth to it, nor is there any archaeological evidence to suggest or any evidence to suggest that it was ever a valley that was a landfill or a garbage dump. Anywhere. Fascinating, isn't it? I've heard it preached that way many times. Me too. Everybody has. And yet as we look at it, as we look into it like a Berean, so we look into the scriptures and we want to see. This fascinated me. I spent a lot of time on this one. And so as I looked into it and I found that there was no biblical truth or evidence to support it, it made me have to scratch my head. Because you can read commentators today that will mention it. Some study Bibles mention it. And yet there's no evidence to support it. Hmm. Now, that makes you pause for a moment, doesn't it? Nonetheless, Jesus uses this term, Gehenna, and it is always in reference to, quote-unquote, hell. Okay? We see it translated into the English language as hell. So, keep that in mind, because that word happens to be pretty important as we start looking at what Jesus says about hell. So, we see that there's this progression. Last week we looked in the Old Testament and we saw that the idea of hell, Sheol, started in the Old Testament. So, the question that I raised last week was, what do you suppose the first century Jew thought about that word, Sheol, or Hades, if you were a a Greek? What would they have conjured up in their mind? Remember, Jesus hadn't started teaching yet. His ministry hadn't started. What would they have thought? 
based on the fact that Sheol, the word, is used 66 times in the Old Testament. Hmm. So now transport yourself back a couple thousand years. Make believe you're a Jew. You're in Jerusalem, perhaps. And somebody says the word Sheol. What are you thinking? Clearly, they would be thinking about that valley. What did he say? Clearly, they would be thinking about that valley of Hinnom because that's where all the that's where all the child sacrificing was taking place. Okay. Fire, fire, blood, torment, all those kinds of things. What else might they be thinking of? Okay. What was that against them? No matter whether you were a believer in God or not, you went to the same place. There was just a division of believers and non-believers, and it was all in the same. Where it won't be that way later on. Hmm. Interesting. Well, let's let's go out of order a little bit and turn to Daniel twelve two. We looked at this last week. We're going to look at it again this week. This is not the first place that we're going to see Sheol mentioned, of course, but it's an important one because it starts the concept of Sheol being something more than just a place of fire. Daniel 12.2 And many of those who... And sleep, the dust of the earth shall awake. Some of the everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. Wow. Some to everlasting life, some to everlasting or eternal contempt, depending on your, your uh, Bible of choice there. And so Daniel refers to this. He's talking about Sheol. Okay. Remember, you're all first century Jews now. And he, and he says this word in Daniel about uh, everlasting contempt. That is contempt we looked at last week, remember? And it has all kinds of connotations to it. But it's, it, the, the primary connotation is this, this, this um, idea of punishment. It's the first place in Scripture where Sheol is referenced in the context of punishment. But if we, if we go before that, we see that Sheol is used many times in the Old Testament. And Isaiah is the first place where he really brings out the idea of hell or Sheol. And so we're going to look at that in just a second. But we see that in the Old Testament, to get, to the, to get from, from Genesis <laughs> to, uh, to um, uh, the, the uh, best way to put this, to prior to Christ's ministry on earth, let's just put it that way. During that time period, we see Sheol in the Old Testament being progressively developed. Okay? Because when we see it originally identified in the Old Testament, we're not told much about it. So transport yourself back to living in that time and when... When Sheol is first mentioned, it's mentioned as a place of, 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 of fire. It, that's the imagery that is used is fire. 
And it relates to this place where they were burning babies. This had been going on for a really long time. It was a horrific place. It had nothing to do with garbage. It had everything to do with sacrificing children. And so then we see in Isaiah, we see Isaiah, in fact, let's turn there. Let's turn to Isaiah. We're going to look at two Isaiah passages here. Isaiah 26, 19. Your dead will live, their corpse corpses will rise. Too many S's in there. <laughs> you who lie in the dust, awake and shout for joy. For your dew is in the dew of dawn, and the earth will give birth to the departed spirits. That's interesting. What is Isaiah communicating here? He's talking about what? What? Resurrection. So the first time that we see that there's these dead people. Okay? I love that. The New Testament, that scripture reference, it says, oh, he's talking about this dead guy named Jesus. It's not disrespectful at all. It's, it's quite biblical. What Isaiah is talking about here is he's talking about resurrection. But resurrection from what? From the dead. The word used there is Sheol, the realm of the dead. Every Jewish believer at the time, everybody that was trying to follow God's law at the time would have known that word Sheol as the realm of the dead. Because the early scriptures and the early Jewish believers would understand Sheol as the place where everybody went when they died. Including the animals. That's the first reference that we have to Sheol in the Old Testament is a place where it is the realm of the dead. Everybody goes there. Fascinating. And God didn't reveal that there was going to be a resurrection of these people that were in the realm of the dead until Isaiah. A progressive approach to understanding this place called Sheol. Hard for us to grasp because, you see, we've already read the rest of the story. We already know how it ends. But they didn't. And what did they have to go on? The same thing that we do. God's Word. It was either written or it wasn't. Fascinating. So Sheol, the realm of the dead, where everybody went. And then along comes the prophet Isaiah and says, By the way, y'all, by the way, there is a resurrection. And he says that your dead will live. Their bodies will rise. Can you imagine hearing this for the first time? Yeah. Because they had to have been wondering, I wonder what happens after we're dead and we're in this Sheol place. Because we're all there. And the ones that were following God's law, that were trying to be obedient and observant, had to have been looking at these people that were evil and thinking... Dude, it's no different. We're all going to be in the same place. But along comes Isaiah. A prophet from God and says, no, 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 no. No, 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 that's not it. There is going to be a resurrection. And guess what? The earth is going to what? Give birth. Give birth to what? Her dead. See, they, they've just gone back in from dust to dust. They would have understood that. Wait a minute. But then from dust, there's going to be life. life. 
fascinating. Isaiah 25, 8 then says what? He will swallow up death forever, and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. The rebuke of his people he will take away from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. The Lord has spoken. I love that. We say it is written. The Lord has spoken. Because the Lord really spoke a lot then, didn't he? Yeah, the Lord had a tendency to speak a lot. I've been waiting for a long time to hear him say something. And he does. He speaks, but not audibly. Not to me, anyway. And so, here he is. The Lord had spoken. And he says, through Isaiah the prophet, that this Sheol, hell, okay, is a place where the, it's the realm of the dead. That's where dead people and animals go. And then Isaiah comes along and says, there's going to be a resurrection. And then he says, after that, the sovereign Lord is going to not only resurrect bodies, but there will be no more tears. That's something that us New Testamenters would be very familiar with, wouldn't we? I wonder where we get that from the New Testament. Hmm. Right here from Isaiah. Right here. See, this is a perfect example of if we don't understand the Old Testament, we don't really get the New Testament. They go together. I love... Chuck Swindoll, when I was a real young believer, and I was I had a voracious appetite for for my Bible, and I was I was reading it like all the time. Didn't know how to, but I was just reading. And so, and, and I heard Chuck Swindoll on the radio said one time, um, because I had my Bible, was the one I still got today, and he said, "Don't ever come to church or a Bible study with just the New Testament. It's only half a Bible." And it stuck with me forever. And I didn't get until later on how important the Old Testament is to the New. So we see that this is not a New Testament idea, this resurrection and the wiping of tears from all faces and the wiping off the disgrace from all of the earth. The New Testament writers got that from Isaiah. Prophesied way before the New Testament was written. It's awesome. I mean, there is, the linkage is clear. The linkage is clear. So is it a problem for you that this idea of Sheol started out as a place of the realm of the dead? You died, you were buried in the ground, you became dust, and that's where everybody went. And then later on, God revealed that but there's going to be a resurrection. And then later on, he revealed a little bit more. And then later on, he revealed a little bit more after that. Is, is that a problem? It's not a problem? It might be if you're cremated and thrown in the ocean. <laughs> <laughs> and why would that make it a problem? Okay. Well, it's really interesting because not only do we see in Isaiah this idea, the first time in God's Word we see this idea that Sheol is, not, is, is way more than just a place where dead people go. Okay. Yeah, he hadn't even talked about. It. He didn't say, "And the spirit, your spirit goes to the dust." You know, those kinds of words are not used there. It's just Sheol, the realm of the dead, with no further explanation. And then Isaiah clears it up a little bit more. And then Isaiah says, "There will be resurrection." Hmm. That is everlasting. And then we see in Daniel, of course. The idea that God reveals even more in Daniel 12, too, we just read it, that not only is there going to be this resurrection, but then the evil are going to be resurrected to everlasting torment, punishment. The, the word really is about punishment. 
the first time that the Jew sees that, oh, if I'm not following God's law, there's punishment involved. Because they didn't know where they were going to go. They didn't have the rest of the story like we do. Okay, but I have a question. Because mm-hmm. don't Jews, they do not believe in the resurrection at all, even though it is mentioned here in the Old Testament? No, I didn't say that. No, I, that's what I've heard. It's oh, oh, oh. Well, it depends on which brand of Jew you are. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> because there are, there, there are different types of, of Jewish theology, is there not? And so, depending on wh- from which persuasion you come, I mean, you know, I tell you this all the time. I have a I have a brother in Christ whose name is Tito, and he's a Tanzanian, and he takes care of my dad Monday through Friday, eight to five, and he is a Catholic, and he is as born again a Catholic as anybody is born again in this room, and he's a Catholic. You can't put everybody in the same camp. You just can't. There are other people that consider them cap- consider themselves Catholic that were just born into a Catholic family, never been to a Mass in their life. And they believe that they're going to get a second chance in in purgatory, which we're going to talk about very briefly in a couple weeks, but they think they're going to get a second chance in purgatory when we know that the Apostle Paul said, what, should we keep on sinning? And Paul says, oh, by no means we're not going to keep on sinning. I mean, we're sinners, but he was talking about the willful direction of our life, of course. And... And, and some Catholics believe that it's okay. You don't have to be a good Catholic. You're getting a second chance anyway. People are going to pray me out. And I'm going to heaven. They believe that. Because the church has taught that. But it's not biblical. And then there are other people in the Catholic church that understand that the Catholic church teaches about purgatory and that there's a second chance and that people can get prayed out. But they are born again believers on Jesus Christ. They put their faith in Christ and Christ alone. Interesting. Okay? And churches we know are filled with people that are not believers. Protestant churches, right? It's all over the spectrum. So we've got to be really careful about where we classify people. It's not our job to be classifying folks. So anyway, we're talking about this theology of hell and what the first century Jew would believe. And we see this progression of God revealing more and revealing more and revealing more. Now we're going to zoom right up to the first century and God has revealed that Sheol is a place and that Hades is a place. They're the same. One is Hebrew, one is Greek. And it's talking about this valley of Hinnom where all of these babies are being sacrificed. And that's the picture that the first century Jew has in in his or her mind. This horrific place. And that's where the reference to the fire, the burning, the misery. I mean, there's, were, I, there's not even words to describe what that must have been like. We read about it, but they knew about it. They knew about it. And so again, the question is, is this progression of God revealing things, is that a problem? Joanne says no. Shouldn't be. That's the way it always is. I mean, everything that he prophesied in the Old Testament progresses on up till it has its fulfillment in the New Testament. Awesome. Turn to Revelation 22, 18. Where they going to land? Awesome. <laughs> Revelation 22, 18 and 19. Most of us are going to be quite familiar with this. 
I warn everyone who hears the words of prophecy of this book, if anyone adds anything to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes words away from this book of prophecy, God will take away from him his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. Wow. So right up until, and now some people, and I have to give, I have to give a little bit of room because some people believe that this passage in Revelation is specifically applied to the book of Revelation itself. Others believe, I would be in this second camp, that it applies to all of God's revelation up to the point at which Revelation 22, 18, and 19 was written. And anything in God's word prior to that, if you take anything out of it or add anything to it, not just the book of Revelation, the entirety of, of the truth of God's word. And, and just so you know where I'm coming from, that's the camp that I fall in. And so, so therein lies the answer. Joanne had it exactly right. There is progression to God's revelation to us as we go through the study of both the Old, which is critically important, and into the New Testament, because they're both tied together. And this progressive idea of what hell is, and even where it is, which we're going to look at next, is critical right up to the point of Revelation chapter 22. Anybody that says that they've had a revelation from God that is contrary to anything that is written from Genesis to Revelation, um, smile and shake their hand and then run down the street. And just get out of Dodge. Because God said that there is no more new revelation. It's been Jesus fulfilled, number one. And the rest of things are in the progression, sequentially, happening. And of course we talked in, in our previous study about the fact that I believe, personally, that everything has happened that needs to happen for the rapture uh, to take place. It could happen in five minutes. For five seconds. <laughs> and only God knows, right? So the point is, is that we don't have a problem with this, with this progression. This is important. I make this point because we're going to start taking a look at what Jesus has to say. Because we're first century Jews in our study tonight. We have to be first century Jews. Because if we're not, we've already cheated and read ahead. Okay? And we don't want to do that. We want to see what Jesus has to say to his audience. So it's clearly not a problem. By the way, if it was a problem, then this whole thing about, about Jesus coming would have been unnecessary. Because we find out that there's this whole sacrificial system in place. And what, what happened when Jesus was sacrificed on the cross? That's it. It was progressive. But did they know that? No, the Old Testament pointed to Jesus. But was there specificity in the Old Testament about exactly what was going to happen? It was progressive. God gave that information out a little bit at a time. All the way up to Revelation. And now there's no more. He's done with Revelation. Now the plan is in the process of being fulfilled. Right up to the point that we are in heaven for an eternity. Whether we go there tonight or whether we're individually, or we go there collectively in the rapture. Either way, it is being fulfilled. So we don't have a problem with it. 
And remember, we read in Isaiah and Job that God's ways were bigger than our ways. We don't. He's God, we're not. So we have to let him go ahead and be God. Amen? Exactly right. Exactly right. So we've seen that initially, now we're going to jump into some of this New Testament theology on Sheol, Hades, Gehenna, and what Jesus has to say about it. Okay? Because this becomes now very real for us. Because I can transport myself away from pre-Christ faith. It's easy. Because I tend to, and God forgive me for this, I tend to look at those people and say, oh, they are so disobedient. They just so didn't get it. Until I realize that I'm just like them. <laughs> That's part of the problem. But nonetheless, we've seen in Daniel 12 too, haven't we? That that's the first place in Scripture, you might have to take my word for it, or you can research for yourself if you're like a Berean, that that's the first place that God's Word tells us that Sheol is a place of, the, the, the word used in most translations is contempt, and we're going to call it punishment. It's the first place. It's progressive to that point, so it's no longer a place for a realm of the dead. It is a place of punishment. And we know that Isaiah said that there's going to be resurrection. Some to everlasting, woohoo, this is good. And some to, uh-oh, punishment. That's what the first century Jew knows, okay? Now, do we agree that that's biblically accurate? Okay. So then we agree that a first century Jew would understand the word Sheol to mean a place for the realm of the dead where a resurrection is going to take place if they understood Isaiah, and that when that resurrection took place, some people, without a lot of detail here, some people are going to be experiencing eternal contempt, and while other people are going to experience an eternal reward. Okay, now think about that. Now, this is what I want you to sear into your brain before we get started next. Reward, punishment. That's a first century Jew. You're all first century Jews right now. Reward. Punishment. They would have understood trying to follow the law. Now, here we go. Jesus kind of bursts onto the scene. And my question last week for you was, did Jesus affirm that thought? Or did he reject that thought. Because remember now, Jesus is this loving, compassionate... Well, if Betty were here, she would say that Jesus talks more about hell than... And, and, and Betty is right. We get all, not all, we get most of our theology about hell from Jesus himself. Woohoo! He had a few things to say about it. But isn't this the same loving, compassionate Savior that we worship? Mm -hmm. But he's trying to keep us out of there. Okay. He made a way for us not to go there. And, and where did hell come from? God. God made it. Yeah. And Jesus is God. Huh. Okay, I just want to make sure we understand this because this is, remember we're first century Jews and here comes this long-haired 
you know, bearded guy with wearing uh, tevas or whatever he wore. Uh, and, and he burst on Yeah, that's right. And so here he comes and he's and he's beginning to teach now. And this is this is you know, this is a real problem if you're a Pharisee. Now none of us are Pharisees, we're just good old everyday working class first century Jews here. But if we were Pharisees, Jesus had a few things to say to them. Did he not? Did did Jesus how did Jesus come across to those Pharisees? Kind of nasty. Kind of nasty? Uh, he thought they thought that Jesus was a heretic. Why? Because he what, Sally? Because he didn't believe and teach what they were teaching. God knows what they believed, but Jesus tore them to shreds. This is the same compassionate, loving. Savior, the man that claimed to be the Son of God. Hmm. It's like when your parents hmm. spank you, they love you and they spank you so that you don't do what it was you were doing. This hurts me more than it hurts you, right? And that's what they used to say. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's jump right into what Jesus had to say because we're going to take this first crack at what Jesus has to say. And i got to warn you because when Jesus has to say something about hell, we have to look very closely at what he says about hell because he is going to be using the, the word Gehenna, which is different than Sheol and different than Hades. Okay? It has a slightly different connotation, and they would have understood this term Gehenna because they knew that it came from the root word Valley of Hinnom, which was right outside Jerusalem. It wasn't a garbage dump. It was a place where people intentionally procreated to have children so that they could set them on fire while they were alive as an act of worship. So we've got to remember this. The power behind this word is something that's hard for us to grasp. But Jesus is going to use it 12 times. 12 different times. Let's, let's jump to Matthew 25, 31 through 46. And if you don't mind, I'm going to read it. What I'd like you to do, I'm just going to read this, these scripture verses. And I would like you to think, and if you have a pen, that's fine too. Circle them in your Bible or on your notes or whatever you want to do. If not, just... Think about some key words, okay, in these few verses, because I want to talk about them. Here we go. Jesus speaking. When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, He will sit on His glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before Him, and He will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on His right and the goats on His left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance. The kingdom prepared for you since the creations of the world. For I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when we see you hungry, 
and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When would we, when did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? Verse 40. The king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Now I'm going to clear my throat. It's a cue for you. <clears throat> Verse 41. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you did not look after me. They also will answer, Lord, when did we see you on where you're thirsty or strange or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? He will reply, truly I tell you, whenever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. So they will go away to eternal punishment but the righteous to eternal life. What in the world is Jesus communicating here? There's reward and punishment at the end of his life. Wow. Do you think he read Daniel chapter 12, <laughs> verse 2? <two? laughs> I think he wrote it. <laughs> That's awesome, Scotty. I think he wrote it. <laughs> he certainly had access to it. <laughs> Who did they think? Let's 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 jump back here. So some of the key things here, going right back to the first part of this passage, because you can't just take a small part of it. You got to look at the whole thing. So if we go to the beginning, it says, "When the Son of Man comes in His glory, what's He talking about?" Who's talking here? First of all, Jesus, Jesus. and He says. About himself. About himself. That's awesome, isn't it? Hmm. His audience had to have been taking their hats off going. Huh? Who is it? When the son of... Huh? Okay. When he, so when is he coming? Well, we don't know when he's coming. What's he talking about here? Who is he talking about? Probably the great white girl. Hmm. He's talking about himself. You got that. Second coming. When the Son of Man comes in His glory, He's already here. He's sitting around. I've got in my mind's eye. We're not told. I'm I'm guessing because there was always a crowd. There was a pretty good crowd. And He says, when the Son of Man comes in His glory, that's the first time they took their hats off and were scratching their head. What's He talking about? See, guys, they didn't have a New Testament. They didn't get to read ahead. They're scratching their head right from the get-go. Then he gives them kind of this analogy. And he says, what's he going to do? He's going to do, there's going to be a separation. What would they have thought about sheep and goats? They're two different kinds of creatures. Mm. They apparently knew that, they was, that you separated them for different causes, There's a lot going on with this comment. There's a whole lot going on that we don't have time to get into tonight. But but I'm telling you, this audience, unlike us, would have understood completely what this separation was. 
there's a separation. They would have, I would submit to you, understood that Jesus was talking about, let's put the good ones over here and the bad ones over there. In their mind, it would have been very clear. Also, the fact that uh, the good ones were on his right hand side mm-hmm. and the bad ones were on the left. Hmm. And it's the right hand of God that always does the good. Isn't that amazing? It's wonderful. Isn't that? <laughs> I love that. And so then what we do is he talks about, hey, if y'all didn't do these things... <laughs> You either did or you didn't do these things. And what are the things that he's talking about and to whom? About being loving one another as he loved us and doing for each other as he did for us. And he was talking to us that followed him. Wow. Exactly right. And isn't that amazing? On a self-sacrificial basis, I can't help but imagine that Jesus had in mind exactly where he ultimately was going to end up at the end of his ministry here on earth on a cross. And talking to them about this self-sacrificial point of view, clothing, cups of water, a mere visit, it seems insignificant, doesn't it? Don't we, 21 centuries later, think that it has to be bigger than that? We and do. If you're in a position where you need it, that is big. Huge. I know that. Huge. <laughs> yes. Yes, you do. <laughs> so that's awesome. And then go to verse 41 for me. And Jesus says, somebody read verse 41. Well, before we get there, I wrote down the word righteous. Oh, okay. He said to the righteous. Mm-hmm. Well, actually, none of us are righteous, but we're clothed in Jesus' righteousness. Would they have known that, the first century Jew? No, probably not. No, they would not have yet. We know that. Who, who would they call the righteous? Oh, that's really interesting because later on, he talks about the righteous being going to a particular place. Okay, And what else does he say? About righteous or or otherwise. But in this particular passage that we're that we're looking at, he talks also about what their inheritance. Their whose inheritance? The righteous inheritance. And what specifically? What verse is that in? Thirty-four. Very good. Let's read that one. Verse 34. Then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. On the right hand side, blessed by who? My father. Okay. And then the next important word is inheritance. See, we understand these things because we're New Testament folks. Okay. So this is like... Big news all of a sudden. That's another one. Scratching my head here. I'm a first century Jew. And here's this guy coming with this teaching that's kind of new. Kind of new. Wait a minute. Now all of a sudden he has a... And we're not going to talk about predestination by the way. But he he does talk about... That's a topic for another day. But he says, come those that you are blessed by my father. Take your inheritance. The kingdom... Prepares for you 
since the creation. Whoa. That's huge when he's talking about having them go, this, 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 these blessed people, these righteous people. We know now that we're clothed in the right, righteousness of Christ. We know that that's how God sees us. But, but we're not first century Jews. They didn't understand that. And he's telling them that they're going to inherit a kingdom that was prepared for them since the beginning of the world. The beginning of all creation. Well, they wouldn't believe creation for sure. They, they read Genesis. They understood that. And so now, remember, we're trying to figure out, because we're not talking about creation or inheritance or heaven. We're not talking about those things. We're talking about hell. That's the point of our conversation. And so Jesus has mixed a lot of stuff in here, hasn't he? We could, we could camp in here for quite a while, but we're not going to because Jesus is talking about hell. And so he goes to verse 41 and he says, what again? Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Okay. Hmm. Jesus talks about an eternal fire. Do you know what the word is in the Greek that he uses there? No. Gehenna. This place that they all would have been very familiar. If you said Gehenna, the Valley of Hinnom, to a first century Jew, they would cringe beyond any... Last week we were talking about abortion. What's the difference? Well, the spiritual connotations have some similarities to it. But, but in, a, in the first century, this was so abhorrent to a first century Jew. It was beyond their comprehension like it is ours. How could you take a child? No, no, let me, let me, let me back that up. How could you take your child? And put them on an altar and light them on fire. How can you? I mean, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, this is powerful imagery, is it not? It's really powerful. So, the word he uses here is Gehenna, and he talks about these people on his left being what? What does he call them? The goats. But he calls them versus cursed. It's just the opposite of what we saw in verse 34 over here, right? Blessed, cursed. Goats, sheep. Heaven, heaven in here. Hell, Gehenna. Okay, this is a first century Jew, remember? Gehenna. The cringing that is going on here right now says that he, you are going to this Gehenna eternal fire that is prepared for the devil and his angels. Now. So he's what, calling them the devil <laughs> his angels. Oh. That would make a first century Jew a little bit. Is bad. this <laughs> personal? Okay. Then let's go down to verse 46. Then they will go away to eternal punishment. But the righteous to eternal life. There's Daniel 12, 2 again. Mm -hmm. They were really familiar with that. 
They got the eternal part of this thing. They even, if they were good Jews, they understood the punishment and they were convinced that they weren't going to punishment because they were following the law. They were following the law. By golly, they were trying to. I'm sure that many of them were confused because remember, there weren't 10 of them or even 11 as 613 to be exact. And they were trying to follow all of them in terms of how many steps they could walk on the Sabbath. And what was a work? It was all works. Yeah. <laughs> it was all works. You know, that reminds me, Bill, when we were going to Israel and uh, we were at the airport and that, and then we had a problem with the plane and there. And so, anyway, we had to sit there in the airport. And the, all of these Jews, about half of the people in the plane were Jews headed back to Israel. And they all gathered in their little groups and that and stood there doing their reading their books and, and that. And then when we got in the plane, as we were going along and that people were trying to sleep, we had this one Jew that kept opening up the upper deal and slamming it shut, getting his all of his all the shawl and all yeah, that stuff. All yeah. that stuff. Wow. And they fixed the water so that the water, the hot water stayed on all the time because it was work to turn the faucet. Yeah. And in the hotel, the <laughs> elevator stopped automatically and opened up on it so that they wouldn't have to push the yeah, button because the work. button was working. <laughs> and if you're Orthodox, you still do that today. And if you're anything below Orthodox, because there are several levels, then you do much less of that. It's just like Christianity. It's no different, guys. <laughs> it's no different. Because, you know, we're studying what the Bible has to say about hell. And in some Christian circles, they're teaching that there isn't any. Yeah. It's no different than keeping the hot water on. It's the, I mean, if you really think about it. However, Jesus is talking to them about what they would understand. And he's also giving them something new. So was he affirming what this first century Jewish audience already knew or not? Absolutely. So here comes this guy on the scene and he's talking about eternal punishment. But that wasn't news to them. What was news is he made it personal. And he went like that. You know? Remember, he's a rabbi now. And when a rabbi speaks, he's got a lot of people listening. And here's Jesus saying, Yo, you. Maybe he even called your name. I'm not sure of that. You know? There it is. So he talks about the eternality, if that's a word, how eternal these consequences are. And it's the first time that it becomes very personal because the first century Jews listening to a first century Jew who is talking to them about first century Jewish stuff. It's very, very personal. And Gehenna is very, very graphic and real. <coughs> They're starting to get it. Remember, they don't have the New Testament like we do. Okay? So we have to understand that. They're starting to get it. Matthew 5.22 Jesus puts it in legal terms. Because, by the way, were first century Jews legalistic? <laughs> okay. Remember, you're, first, you're still a first century Jew. As you sit here. Matthew 
But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to his brother, Raka, is answerable to the Sanhedrin. But anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Cross out the last three words there and write in Gehenna. So, he puts it in legal terms and says, Hey, y'all. If you're even just... Because what did he say before? Hey, if you didn't... You know, I was thirsty and you didn't give me anything to drink. I, I was in prison and you didn't visit me. I, I needed some clothes. You didn't even give me a shirt. You had like 30 of them hanging in the closet. <laughs> you know? And, and so you're a goat. You're going to eternal punishment, Jesus said, because of that. And to the ones that did that because out of love. Love. We're talking about love. They saw this person and gave them one cup of water. They stopped what they were doing because what they were doing wasn't important because they saw, they, you know, Thoris, is a cup of water important if you don't have any? Yeah. Oh man, I'll say. You can only live so long without water, right? And so he separated these two on that basis. Then he makes it even more personal in Matthew 5.22. He says, hey, if I'm angry with you, sister, I'm subject to an answerable. If I'm angry with you or if I call you stupid. That's what Rock means. Either one of those two things. What is the consequence for me? In danger of. Meaning that all of a sudden, check your heart, check your heart, check your heart. Oh man, that makes coming to church on Sunday a whole different experience. <laughs> it does, doesn't it? Because can we get angry? Oh, you better believe it. And Jesus says, and yet, it's as simple as this. Check your heart. You know, if I got something with her, I got to just go give her a hug. I would give her a hug anyway, because I'm, I'm a hugger. But, right? But shouldn't we sit down and talk about it? And then shouldn't I say, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. For, will you forgive me? That's all I'm saying. And if we don't do that, we are in danger of... But my, my, my translation says, if you're angry with your brother without a cause. Mm -hmm. Now, Jesus got angry too, but he had a cause. He had a cause. He had some righteous indignation, yeah. didn't he? So I guess it's possible to be angry without. I mean, if you have a cause. Could be. But I would submit this to you. Anger is still anger. That's true. Whether it has a cause or not. And he says by using the word anger and then he qualifies it even more by saying or if you say something less you fool yeah you fool less than <coughs> gracious <laughs> if, you, if you're not going to speak uplifting to someone these are things that would put you in danger of understanding that your heart is not right that's what he's talking about your heart is not right and you are in danger of Gehenna. As soon as he said that word, they went, <gasps> that's freak out time. Mm -hmm. And then finally, in Matthew 23, 33. 
He's speaking to an entirely different audience, but he has the same basic message. What does he say? I love this one. 2333. Go ahead, Ernie. You snakes, you brood of vipers, how will you escape being condemned to hell? Who's he talking to? He's he's talking to the, the religious leaders there. So he's talking to the Pharisees. But, I want to make a point. He's talking specifically to the Pharisees because, man, they were like the worst of the TV evangelists that we've ever seen. Okay, The ones that have a bad heart, they're not all bad. But the ones that have a really bad heart, that all they want is your money. They could care less about your spiritual growth. Okay, There are some of those out there. And he was talking to them of the first century, the Pharisees. They were leading people astray and taking their money. And he says, you snake, you brood of vipers, how will you escape being condemned, meaning sentenced by the court? Who's the court? Him. To Gehenna. That's a Pharisee. And a Pharisee would have been angry. (laughs) Isn't that amazing? Here he is. Matthew's writing this. I don't know the exact timeline and when these two things were said, but they meant the same thing. If your heart's not right, you are subject to complete and total fair justice, which could include Gehenna. Wow. See, when they heard that, it meant a lot more than when we say hell. And that's the point. It's a legal term. If we translate this into future times, Let me say this. You snakes, you brood of vipers, you pastors, you elders, you deacons, you teachers, you TV evangelists, you anybody that is dividing the Word of God wrongly. Come on now, you're adding to the Word. (laughs) (laughs) But that's who he's talking to. That's who he's talking to. Because we have to... The audience was the first century Jew, but who is he speaking to? The the first century Jew was his audience here, but this Matthew 23-33 is he's talking to the Pharisees that were misleading people. It's the same thing. So it's not adding to, because if it were adding to, then we could say, ah, the whole of it is just ancient history and it doesn't apply. But it's all applicable. It's all applicable. So, their hearts needed to be right. They couldn't be angry with one another. Because they would be subject to this this place with eternal consequences. The gravity can't be lost. So why is it important to start here in talking about hell with what Jesus has to say about it? Why is it so important to see what Jesus has to say about hell? And is it any more important than what Daniel had to say or what Isaiah had to say or what Jesus's, what the apostles had to say? Paul, and we're going to see other New Testament writings about hell. Why do we start with what Jesus had to say? Because we all recognize he's the authority. <laughs> he's the one who created it. 
See, this is that same Jesus that, you're right, created everything. This is that same Jesus that we worship. This is that same Jesus who is the object of our faith. If it weren't for Jesus, we wouldn't even be here. There would be no point. In fact, I would submit to you if it weren't for Jesus and how he changed us, we would be like those people in the valley of Canaan. Because we would have no moral compass whatsoever. And we might as well just go ahead and burn our babies. What's the difference? Why wouldn't we? Why wouldn't we? So he's talking about this, the gravity of what's going on here. And this place has gravity. But just as much, he's talking about our actions that could potentially lead to that grave situation. And so what I love about this is that it helps us get uncomfortable with, with the fact that we've got this hell to deal with. Because, uh, again, I would submit to you that we're really good at talking about the good stuff in the, of the faith. I love to talk about heaven. <laughs> because... I'm really confident. In fact, I'm not really confident. I am absolutely sure I'm going there. Hell, on the other hand, pretty tough to go up to somebody. Remember that that gentleman you were telling me you're trying to evangelize a little bit and you're sharing with him yeah. the beauty of of just coming to faith in Christ, and you you did it in such a simple way. Yeah. And he even he was even interested in accepting a Bible, maybe maybe to get rid of you. I don't know, but. But, no. it, it was, but it was easier to talk to him about the good stuff, wasn't it? The good news of the gospel. Mm-hmm. It's so much harder to go up to somebody and say, and by the way, and if you don't accept the good news of the, guy, uh, the, good news of the gospel, you're going to hell. It, we have difficulty with that, don't we? But this is Jesus. And we need to get comfortably uncomfortable with the fact that Jesus himself was just being honest and truthful and loving Loving. Mm-hmm. And that's the key. Because when we start taking a look at where hell is, and then this God that loves us so much that He would not want one of us to have to go to this place that He created. And He's given us every opportunity not to, but He doesn't shy away from talking about it. And I don't know. I have no idea why Jesus is the one in scripture that tells us the most about hell I, I, I don't know I, I would have to just purely guess because it comes with so much more power and power and, and you know, when it comes directly from, from Jesus I don't know why I think that I don't have any, any way to support that or back that up but to me when Jesus speaks about hell it was probably by God's design I don't know this so it's purely speculation on my part that it would mean more to folks like us than it would mean if we were reading about it in Isaiah. Who we respect as a prophet, but we worship the Lord. Amen? Tremendous power. Next week we're going to look at where is hell. And so I want to ask the question, where is hell? Down. <laughs> a very biblical answer. Where's that? We've got ten places of tall. Yeah.
<laughs> you notice how we didn't get there? <laughs> well, so, for those of you that like to cheat, no, I'm just use that word loosely. But so I've got some I got some scripture references. If you want to be challenged, and if you want to challenge um, uh, the teaching next week, read those scriptures because we're going to talk about hell. Oh yeah, uh, what is the correction? Dwayne pointed out a mess up I made. It's Job. Oh, well, you got to read out Job sixteen thirty two. You need to write down Job twenty six five. Yeah, Job twenty six five on the on the where is held part. I messed that up. Because when you go to do your study, you'll I got a tap on the shoulder, and he says, "I think you maybe don't know your Bible as well as you think you do." lots <laughs> more. And you're right. You're right, by the way, Mark. So before we leave, just a just just a few answers. Where is hell? Yeah. Under what? Okay, we have a, we have a. Let's do, let's do a survey. Under the earth, well, water goes trickles down to to a bottom something, so it's the lake of fire. It, so there's so hell as the lake of fire because the water trickles down is is down. Is it the bottom of? The bottom of the abyss. <laughs> yeah, the abyss is the bottom. The abyss is the bottom of pit. But that, well, you got an eternity to be falling at. <laughs> okay. Any other ideas? Doris, where's hell? That's good. It's where Jesus isn't. It's where Jesus isn't. Okay. Is it? Some people think the center of the earth. Because it talks about sulfur in the Bible. Okay. Sulfur in the center of the earth. Oh, no, I haven't been there. I understand it's hot. I understand it's hot. In your Deuteronomy reading, it says the realms of death below. Below, yeah. Yeah, Susan pointed that out. We, we know that every time in Scripture when it talks about hell, it always says down. We know it's down. Well, we know it's not going to be up there. We know it's, <laughs> we know it's not going to be up there. There's not going to be a, a division up there. You know, with all the sides and heaven on the other side. Okay. Any other theories, by the way? Mm. <laughs> okay, well, we're going to do a Bible survey, aren't we? And you got a precursor to it because we have a number of scripture references on the outline from tonight that we're going to dive in first thing tomorrow. Uh, first thing tomorrow. tomorrow. First thing tomorrow, if you'd like to be here. There's a group of us going to be here at 6 in the morning, so if you'd like to come and be my guest. It's a men's Bible study. But. Okay. So we're going to start with this discussion of where is hell, and we're going to take a look at it from a Bible survey point of view, because actually, you know, Dwayne, you, you had, you're on to something there, because there are a number of uh, references that we can point to, uh, extra-biblical references, that talk in generalities about things like the abyss and things like, like that lake of fire without mentioning specifically where it is. So what we're going to do is we're going to delve into Scripture and we're going to see the center of the earth that you mentioned um, and down. We know it's down, but we have to, you know, what's the meaning of down? And the, the center of the earth is an interesting one. We hear that's a really popular one, actually. 
And so we have to take a look at that. Where does that come from? And what does the what does the Bible say? Because it really matters not what we think. It matters what the Bible says, right? And so we're going to take a look at that. And and it's a it's interesting. If I would encourage you to look at those ten, is there ten? However many scriptures there are. Um, and and that's just a good starting place, by the way. But by the time we get done with those next week, you're going to know where hell is. <laughs>